Welcome to The Human Advantage, a podcast from the Centre for Army Leadership, which explores the more personal and tactical applications of leadership. In each episode, we meet someone who's experienced the highs and lows of leading, in situations ranging from major combat operations to challenges in barracks. We explore what they've learned about leadership to help our junior leaders prepare for success on operations today and in the future. I'm your host, Ash Bardwaj, a journalist and broadcaster and a British Army Reserve captain with the rifles. In this episode, we meet someone who knows how to give teams ownership over outcomes. And this is not for me, it's for the team and it's for the unit. But I don't want to impose on you how this is going to be done. I want your input. So I created that psychological safety so that they could speak their mind. And, 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 and it worked. They told me what they thought, you know, how they thought it could be achieved. And, you know, you'll be surprised. Within a few months, we had a UN assurance inspection. And then after five years, that was the first inspection they ever passed, you know, after five years because of that teamwork, that team cohesion. And who knows that soft skills and leaders are hugely valued by followers during periods of training and change. In every group, the two things that came up most was empathy and listening. So they all believe that to be valued, a leader needs to have empathy and they should be good listeners. And do not just listen, but listen and engage with the person talking to you to make them feel that they are being heard. Sergeant Mo Fay was born and raised in Gambia and joined the British Army's Staff and Personnel Support Branch of the Adjutant General's Corps, that's the AGC SPS, in 2009. He was then attached to the rifle companies of infantry regiments as a junior HR specialist and admin junior non-commissioned officer. As a corporal, he administered officer cadets at Royal Military Academy Sandhurst before working with the Irish Guards and NATO in the Middle East. As a sergeant, Mo is now the systems coordinator at the Army Medical Services Support Unit. Mo has deployed across the world on exercise and on operations, and has been awarded the Queen's Commendation for Valuable Service and the NATO Supreme Allied Commanders Europe Award. He's also the founder of the Juwara Charity. In this episode, Mo explores the concept of leading without authority and enabling teams and organisations from a position of followership. What particularly struck me about Mo is how much he has always chosen to do far more than what was asked of him. He's done it as self-development, but also to improve his wider understanding of the organisations that he has been attached to. After finishing Phase 2 training, Mo was attached to the Royal Anglians, who were heading out on an exercise of Scurry Thunder in Kenya. But, without a huge amount to do once the exercise had begun, Mo asked to be attached as an infantry soldier to a platoon, and conduct the entire exercise as an infantry soldier. I began by asking him why he chose to spend time as an infantry when he didn't need to. For career progression, it didn't accelerate my career because my one arrow wasn't there to see what I was doing. But uh, experience-wise, it has strengthened my experience and has sharpened my military skills and knowledge. And but more importantly, it has brought me closer to the guys because when I was going to Kenya, I barely know most of their names, but by the time I, you know, get back to the UK, I knew everyone by their name and surname, you know, the entire company. The relationship was absolutely stronger. Often we think of leadership as being something that comes with a command position, which comes with authority. But in this, you're leading without authority. You're having a leadership influence from 
being a private in the SPS, but you're having an influence over the company. What kind of things did that make easier for you and for the company more generally once you went back to work? <laughs> I think it, it just made them trust me more. That was the entire company, whether they're junior or seniors, that, that made them just trust me more. Because what they've seen in me is, even though I did not have that positional authority, but what I had was that responsible presence. And I think that is really crucial when it comes to leading without authority. So what you need to present, whether you have authority or not, what you need is that responsible presence because leadership requires presence. But if you're not responsible, the presence will also not be that useful. But also, on the other hand, if you are responsible but without any presence, it can also be very futile. So that's why if you the two has to go hand in hand, that responsible presence, you know, that will bring you closer to those people around you. And your love of doing infantry stuff continued. You ended up at Four Rifles as a Lance Corporal and you went out on Wessex Storm. And am I right in thinking they got you to be a Mastiff commander out there? Yeah, that's correct. Um, after three years with one Royal Anglians, my interest for the infantry just grew. You know, I mean, my love for them just, you know, uh, just grew because of the way they operate. Because of that, I decided to request for another infantry posting, and that was uh, Four Rifles. Uh, four Rifles was a light roll infantry unit before I went there. But shortly after my arrival, they decided to mechanize, and I was told that the mechanization, the conversion training has to start with B Company, in, in which case um, everyone's corporal was going to be a Mastiff commander. That was when my company assignment asked me, do you want to be part of it? I said, absolutely, sir. How was that experience for you? Because most Lance Corporals spend every day doing their infantry work if they're in the infantry, whereas you having to do your day job and then going to do the Mastiff commander course and then also doing the additional training out on Wessex Storm. So that's a lot of extra work on top of what you were doing. Did you get much support from the rest of the company? Were there any leaders that you looked up to that really helped you make that jump to commanding a vehicle. This isn't just being a private in a rifle platoon as you were on Ascari Thunder. Yeah, the workload was building up, but to be honest, I didn't even want to complain about it because I didn't want to be taking off that Mastiff Commander's uh, training because I, I was so interested in, in, in doing it. So there are times when I would come back from the field and then go to the office, you know, spending late hours there because I just wanted to make sure I do the training. Because I knew if I had complained, I probably would have been told, like, okay, you know what, you've got so much to do, you, you're not going to be on it. So I decided to keep quiet about it and then just crack on with the uh, Mastiff uh, Commander training. My struggles in the beginning was navigation, because as to be a Mastiff Commander, you need to know where you're going. Most of the time, you could be given a private soldier or a rifleman from Catrick who's just passed out training, and I know that very good at navigation and you have to tell them where they should be going. So in the beginning, I, I did struggle with my navigation skills. So, and what I, what I did was I just um, consulted one of the uh, platoon sergeants, Sergeant Michael Felix, who we used to call Big Mike. And he was really helpful. Um, he used to take spare time, you know, taking me through the field, you know, going through, uh, going, doing some extra navigation exercises. And that really helped me. By the time I when on Wessex Storm, I was all over my navigation, not only during the day, but even at night. Even after Wessex Storm, you were still having the responsibility at times of a Lance Corporal infantry, Lance Corporal, 
while still doing your SPS job within the company. That, that's right. It, it, it continued because even after Wessexstorm, before we handed over our vehicles, I would most of the time be called from the office to go and do EC checks, you know, because as a commander, you are responsible for your vehicle. So most of the time, they would just call me to go down and make sure um, my, my kit and equipment in the vehicle are, you know, okay. So what's quite novel here is you, you've got this experience of commanding a vehicle, commanding a driver, and having responsibility for vehicle moves. That's not a technical skill that you need in the SPS. No. But did that leadership experience help you in other places? It does, it does help. After uh, Wessexstorm, I retained that skill and, and, and knowledge, and I used it to develop other junior soldiers, both in SPS and the infantry, you know, teaching them how to do um, navigation, but also um, taking them out on tabbing for those who were preparing for uh, NCO cadres. Did that make it easier for you to do the SPS work as well, like the clerking work? Did that additional authority help you in that? It, it does. It, it absolutely does. But also it makes it a bit difficult for me because the guys were very close to me in the field because of that. Sometimes they would leave their companies and come to me for help. You know, instead of going to their own companies, they would just come to me. And, and I think because of that trust and respect we have for each other in the field, you know, they, 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 they used to be more comfortable coming down to me for advice. You went back to Kenya on another Ascari exercise with the Irish Guards, but this time you were in HQ company. Yes, that's right. What were you doing there that helped support the company that might have felt not within your normal role of what you were doing? So my second trip to Kenya was with one IG. But when we deployed, I was under the battle group headquarters where all the planning cycles used to take place. When it comes to rank, you know, I, I was the youngest. So I decided that... Um, Again, just like my first time in Kenya, if I want to focus just on what I'm doing, I will be bored. I just want to do something different. But I was looking for what else can I do because here I can't go and do section attacks because I'm with the um, battle group headquarters. They need my help. I was in charge of all the IT and um, the PowerPoint slides and uh, for, for their orders. So I asked myself, how can I serve here? How can I make, how can I make a difference? That was when a thought came to me that, okay, when you look around, you can see everyone with a, with a water bottle, which they keep feeling throughout the day because Kenya was really hot. You can think of between 35 and 40 degrees, you know, a day. So I decided, okay, now everyone has a water bottle, but what they do is they keep going up and down, filling these water bottles, you know, and that was just distracting. I was like, okay, why not try and put a station here where you'll get water, squash drinks that was when i went to the master chef and asked if i could get nogis to put these drinks in that was provided with this nogis and then fill them and since that day people hardly bother about their water bottles you recognize the potential need there no one had asked you to do it but you decided there's something here that's being inefficient it's taking their time out to do this i'll go and create a solution to a problem they didn't know that they had mm -hmm. which just gave them extra time and made things easier mm -hmm. no absolutely it's just like looking for the gap that's what i've done there so I was like, okay what is the bottleneck here you know they were doing their job very well but the fact that they are going down either filling their water bottle or um going up and down having a drink and then because you can't come with your water bottle around the planning table you have to put it somewhere by the entrance so the fact that they have to go up and down picking it and drinking and then going refilling it was time consuming and ineffective. So where did you get the inspiration from to take that level of initiative whilst you're out there with the Irish Guards? 
prior to going to the Irish Girls, I was in Sanders for two years. And um, we used to have this uh, REO um, Major Bond who used to encourage us to read these leadership books. And one of the books that he used to encourage us to read was Legacy, written by James Carr. And um, one of the chapters, my favorite chapter was Sweep the Sheds. Sweep the Sheds. Yeah, and what that mean in context was never be too big to do the small things that need to be done. So that book inspired me. So that was once you were at Scienthurst working within the SPS for the Royal Military Academy. But did you get many other lessons in leadership whilst you were there? Absolutely. In Sanders, after a major bond left, we have Captain Kit Carney, who was also another legendary leader. But what Kit used to do was make sure we ingrained the, um, the values and standards in us. So she used to test us on these values and standards. For example, every week she will ask us, how did you leave the values and standards um, last week? So, and then we will have to explain. And for example, I would say, oh, I, I use moral courage to do this. I use um, discipline to do that and that. So by the by the time you leave Sandoz, you are well prepared, you know, um, knowing that you are leaving these values and standards instead of just memorizing them. So even though you're at Sandhurst working with the administration team rather than going through the course as a cadet, you were being instilled with the values and standards and leadership principles that you then took on into your next job in the Irish Guards. Yes, that's right. What was your next job within the Irish Guards? Because I think you had a posting on Shader that was for a field officer's rank whilst you were still a corporal. That's correct. So shortly after Kenya, we deployed to Iraq on Egg Shader in the end of 2019. So I was initially stationed in Baghdad, but um, we were asked to uh, withdraw to Kuwait. So after two weeks in Kuwait, I was called by the DECOS. The Deputy Chief of Staff. Yeah, the Deputy Chief of Staff. That I'm needed back to Iraq by NATO or NMI, NATO mission in Iraq. But this time you're not going to Baghdad, you're going to Taji. So I was absolutely excited because I just wanted to go where the, where the work was. So in Kuwait, I was a bit bored because going to Kuwait, there wasn't much going on. It was just a temporary um, withdrawal until things calmed down a little bit. So being told I was going back to Iraq, especially Taji, I was really excited. But what, when I got there, what I was told was you were getting into very big shoes because you're doing the job of a major. So because the major that was there was called to go to Baghdad to do some other task. And they couldn't get anyone from the UK because was, this was during lockdown. They couldn't get any other senior officer from the UK. So I had to step into his shoes and do that major's job. What was that like for you? It was exciting, um, but I also thought it was going to be a way for me to demonstrate my hidden leadership talents because I've worked, uh, uh, I've done a bit of leadership as a civilian for joining the army. But again, in basic training, you've, you've been prepared enough to take any leadership role. You know, it's just a matter of you developing it, but you've al already been given that foundation. So all I've done was saying, that, you know what, how do I make this uh, successful? So go back to the values and standards, you know, um, ground yourself into the values and standards. Um, and what I did was I wrote the values and standards of the British Army on a piece of paper and hung it on my door so that every day I can remind myself, I, I will read it loud to myself just to remind myself about the values and standards. And were there any examples of where you having to do something during that job, that major's job as a corporal, where you had to draw upon the values and standards to figure out the way to do something. Yeah, absolutely. The key one was respect for others. 
respect for others. In the army, it's, it's, it's easy to respect senior ranks, but when it comes to respecting others, the values and standards didn't say respect the senior rank, you say respect for others, and others mean everyone. So for me, that was one part of the values and standards that I was always trying to make sure I, you know, utilize it to the best of my ability, you know, respect each and everyone I come in contact with. So part of the things I wrote on my door was, how do I serve? I have to wake up every morning and ask myself, how do I serve? But also, if today was going to be my last day on earth, how would I treat the people that I come in contact with? So using those questions and um, the values and standards made me give each and everyone I meet utmost respect. You know, it doesn't matter whether you are a cleaner, whether you are a chef, whether you are a driver, I give everyone respect. And that made my job even much easier because everybody returned a reciprocate the, the, the respect. And your specific job, though, was moving people through the camp. You were welcoming yeah. new arrivals and, and then also sending them back yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. I, was the, I was the NATO liaison officer. I was the liaison officer for NATO. So all the, um, all the NATO troops from over 25 different countries used to go through Taji, and I was in charge of their movement, their accommodation, and, 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 and uh, security briefing if they had to stay overnight. That's brilliant. Because you took that attitude in and used the values and standards to draw upon it, you made that job more manageable for yourself and ensured that it went well. Absolutely easier. I made it much easier. Instead of just focusing on the the NATO troops, who are mainly officers, I tend to expand it to everyone and come, even the security guards at the gate. So, And that made my life and my job absolutely easier. You're now a sergeant at the Army Medical Services? That's right. Doing the SPS support for them? That's right. What was that like? Because you've suddenly now got a larger team to command. Did you have to work on the culture? What was it like for you when you first took that sergeant's role on? How did you, how did you get the team going? It was a bit of a challenge in the beginning because you know, you're joining a new team and uh, most of the time people don't see where things are going wrong. You know, they just feel like I've been doing this for a long time, so it must be the right thing. But for me, upon starting from week one, I knew that there were some improvements that need to be made. And I decided that, you know, there's no way we can delay these changes. But also, you don't want to just jump and start making changes because you rather the people you work with might end up feeling like being unappreciated or undervalued. So... I decided that the way to approach this is try and win their hearts first before asking for their hand. So I asked my genius for a day out and I said, if we can go for an afternoon lunch so you can choose a restaurant of your choice. So I remember they chose Havesta. I said, it's all paid for, I'll pay for it. All you guys need to do is just go and eat. So we went down to Havesta, had a meal and then went out to the garden, you know, in a very quiet place. You know, and then had a friendly chat. And I said, guys, as you can see, rank doesn't matter here. We are all the same rank as we are here. So I want, a very, I want to have a genuine conversation with you guys. So, and, and the reason for that is I want us to achieve. This is what I want us to achieve. And I told them what I, want us to, what I want us to achieve. And I said to them, this is not for me. It's for the team and it's for the unit. But I don't want to impose on you how this is going to be done. I want your input. So, so I created that psychological safety so that they could speak their mind and 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 and, and it worked they, they 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 told me what they thought you know how they thought it could be achieved and you know you'll be surprised within few months we had a g1 assurance inspection and then um, 
after five years, that was the first inspection they ever passed, you know, after five years because of that teamwork, that team cohesion. So you set out your objective of what you wanted to achieve. That's right. Your intent. Mm-hmm. And then you got buy-in. So they felt a sense of ownership and engagement with that mission. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so they were more committed to it. Absolutely. They were so committed to it. They were 100% committed to it because it felt like it was their idea, even though at the back of my mind, this is what I wanted to achieve. But I made it feel like it's their idea. I'll just tell them what I wanted. And then say, right, what do you guys think? So you've given your team buy-in there. To what extent do you think listening and empathy matters in this? And have you got any examples of where you've found ways to do that? I believe those two things are key ingredients in, in leadership. I recently ran a presentation on All Stop Day in 2023. But the way I facilitated it was I divided my, my audience of about 60 people into three different groups ask each group a question and the questions were group one what makes you feel valued group two what makes you feel undervalued or not being valued or group three i asked them to think about all the leaders they ever had and what can they think about them but you'll be surprised to know that in every group the two things that came up most was empathy and listening so they all believe that to be valued you know, a leader needs to have empathy and they should be good listeners. And do not just listen, but listen and engage with the person talking to you to make them feel that they are being heard. So these are the two things that came most on on, on that day out of 60 people. And that was a cross rank? And that was cross rank from private to um, Cornell. Wow. Mo, it's been really great talking to you about your leadership journey. It's been fascinating to think about where you got your inspiration from, but then the importance of critical things. So going all the way back to that time as a private, taking your initiative to develop yourself, but also understanding that would help you build empathy and trust within the unit. Thanks so much for talking me through all of that. Now, we always just have three quick fire questions at the end of every podcast. So what is the way you would love to spend your perfect Sunday? Um, to be honest, I, I think... I'm spending my Sundays my ideal way, and that is spend time with the family, catch up with friends and family members on the phone, but also try and feed someone who is not inside my household. And what I usually do with my wife is every Sunday we drive around town just looking for a homeless to feed, you know. How about, how, what, just giving some lunch to a homeless Yeah, person. yeah, just buy lunch for a homeless. So um, we'll just make a pack of, let's say, sandwich, canned drinks, and then um, uh, sweets. And then just put it in a park and then just look for homeless around town. Sometimes, you know, you know, we go around town without seeing anyone. But what we sometimes do is instead of since we can't get find anyone, we just go and buy pizzas or drinks and give it to the guards at the gate just to make sure we fulfill our, you know, uh, our mission on that Sunday. That's amazing. To, to make it more fulfilling. That's amazing. And I, I, if I'm to add anything to that would be to get my ideal Sunday would be probably to plant a tree every Sunday. But at the moment, this is how I spend my Sunday and I think this is an ideal way I want to spend my Sunday. That's really giving back. Yeah, giving back, absolutely. That's amazing. I feel like I need to make much more effective use of my Sundays now. <laughs> Cheers. Um, are there any books, films or podcasts about leadership that you've taken lessons from? So books, I would say Legacy by James Squire. Podcast, the uh, the Human Advantage podcast. 
and, Cheers, the, and the bit of optimism by Simon Sinek. So leaders, there are many that have inspired me. Kit Carney at the RMA, whose leadership style was more of a create more leaders. And I respected her, her coaching style of leadership. So after leaving Sanders, Kit has made each and every one of us a better leader and thinkers. So Kit is one person I would say is an inspirational leader. But one person that I would say champion all these people is um, group captain Jim Belden, whom I was privileged to work under in Iraq. If I would describe Jim, I would say he has been my leadership compass holder. He is one of the reasons why I'm still here. Because before I met him in, in, in 2020, I, I almost signed off. I, always, I already had enough. But he is the one that injected back that enthusiasm, that motivation and hope back in me. And if you would say something to Private Faye on his first day at Purbright about leadership, what would it be? I would just tell him, know yourself. That is the key. Because if you want to lead anyone, you have to know yourself know your triggers, know your motivations, be aware of your behaviors. So self-awareness is really key. So if you know yourself, you will be able to lead anyone. Sergeant Mofei, thank you very much. Thank you. It was fascinating to speak to Mo because he has a really good understanding of the importance of leadership when you don't have a position of authority. Even from the very beginning, he was taking on those aspects of leadership around self-awareness, self-development, and gaining an insight into the importance of trust and empathy for those around him. He's then moved on to looking for opportunities, looking for gaps to help deliver the intent. So when he was working in battalion headquarters, he had that example of great followership where he saw what needed to be done, saw opportunities and possibilities, and then took the initiative to move forward to create the action that would lead to a better outcome. And then now that he's a sergeant, now he has a team that are working for him, he's setting that intent, understanding that they need to get buy-in so that when he's trying to create organisational change, all the people in the team are moving in the same direction and they want to go there. This was an episode of The Human Advantage from the Centre for Army Leadership. It was produced and presented by Ash Bardwaj of Digital Dandy and co-produced by Lucy Ditchment of Feast Collective. What you hear on each episode are the views of the participants and do not represent the position of the Centre for Army Leadership, the British Army or the UK Government. Please rate and subscribe to The Human Advantage on your podcast app where you can find more episodes. If you enjoyed this episode, do send it to any friends and colleagues that you think might appreciate it and maybe even share it on social media. For more information about developing leadership, just search online for the Centre for Army Leadership. Thanks for listening.